Slava Ukraini. Herorium Slava. The Curiosity Hour podcast may contain content not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion advised. Welcome to another listener-supported episode of the Curiosity Hour podcast. I'm Dan. And I'm Tommy. Tonight, we're thankful to have Tracy Thomas join us. We enjoyed hearing Tracy talk about her love of books, the art of books, and sharing opinions about books, and the impact of how books make her feel, as well as her podcast, The Stacks. We encourage you to visit our website, thecuriosityhourpodcast.com, and to continue to be curious about the people and stories all around you. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Tonight, we're going to say a special hello to our listeners in Coatesville, Pennsylvania, Stanton, Michigan, Salem, New Hampshire, and Cairo, Egypt. Tonight, we had Tracy Thomas on the podcast. And Tommy, what's that to you from a conversation with Tracy? I love hearing the passion in somebody's voice when they're talking about something that they are really passionate about. And it's something that um, comes through very, very clearly when talking to Tracy about books and about the the fun and the work that she gets to do um, with her podcast, The Stacks. Um, it was really cool being able to hear um, kind of the origin story of her podcast, as well as to be able to share with with her like the the fun of being able to talk to authors and being able to to become an authority uh, and to speak with authority on books that will leave an impact. Um, as a fan of her podcast, it was really it was really cool being able to to have that connection with her. So, what about you, Dan? Yeah, I agree with you on all that. I um, I really loved how she talked, especially she kind of mentioned in the beginning and then it, it came um, from several different answers afterwards too. just the idea of how books make her feel and the impact of that and, and how central that is for her to determine the effect of a book. I love that. And then near the end, she talks about this. I love this phrase of, you know, the books of her life. So these books that it sort of goes beyond even like the favorite book or all else, but books that have had like a, a central role in, in her life and have had a role maybe in shaping her life. So I love that concept. And then other than that, just, you know, talking about uh, being able to be a critic and putting her opinions out there and and treating books and, and with the seriousness that other um, forms of art have, I, I always still thought that was very illuminating. Really agree, Dan. Absolutely. Um, all of that. Uh, and now here is our conversation with Tracy Thomas. Well, today we're excited to have Tracy Thomas join us on the Curiosity Hour podcast. Tracy, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I am Trace Thomas. I'm the creator and host of The Stacks, which is a podcast all about books and the people who read them and write them and love them. And I live in Los Angeles. I'm a California native, though I'm from Oakland, which is in the Bay Area, for those who don't know. But I don't know how you could not know Oakland. Um, I am a mother of almost three-year-old twin boys. And... um, I like books. I don't know. That's that. I mean, that's like a general, I have other interests, but that's, that's a general intro, I'd say. Well, Tracy, thanks again for joining us and talk to us about what makes your life meaningful. What gives your life purpose? What makes you feel alive? What's your bliss? Mm, 
Such an interesting question. I, um, I think like, you know, family is very important to me. My friends are very important to me. A thing that I like really look forward to and love doing is hosting um, in my home, like my friends. And I think that that has definitely carried over into my professional life, being a host of a podcast. Um, while it's certainly different, it still has that same vibe of like welcoming someone into the space and creating a world where they feel comfortable. So I think that that's always been something that I've loved to do. Um, and so I, I think maybe that's what gives my life bliss, hosting. Okay, so let's just jump right into how I was introduced to you, the podcast that you host, The Stacks. I have been listening for a little over a year, um, and I'm I'm a huge fan, so I'm excited to find out what brought you to the point where you recognized that this was something that you wanted to do. Okay, wait, I'm going to flip it on you first. What was the first episode of you heard of The Stacks and how did you find the show? Okay, so I don't remember the exact first episode, but I do remember the first book that I read at your recommendation and that was Passing. Um, mm. And it was amazing. But what's funny is I didn't realize it was written in the 1920s. I thought it was oh. a like a current read because or a currently written book because of the HBO show. And mm. so I was like halfway through and I'm like, this reads so much older than I was expecting. <laughs> um, but, but I also, um, I, I follow your advice and I do not listen to the, uh, the book club episodes until I've read the book. And so mm. that was, I, I had to put off that episode until I'd read it. Yeah. I love that book. Um, and then, okay. Oh, yeah, and, go then, ahead. and where I, I heard about it was I posted on Twitter um, asking for book recommendation podcasts. And I believe um, the modern Mrs. Darcy recommended your show because I'm a, a big nonfiction reader and she recommended your show for that purpose. Oh my gosh. I love Anne. Um, I did her show a few times actually. She's great. Um, okay. So to answer your question. Um, so in, this is like a long story, but you guys said I could talk a lot. So here we go. Um, in two, so I lived in New York for a long time and I read a lot. I've always been into reading. And then when I moved to LA in 2012, I sort of stopped reading because in New York, I was reading a lot on the subway and on the bus and in LA you drive. So you don't, you can't read a book while you're driving. Um, though now I listen to audiobooks, So that has changed. But at the time I was not listening to audiobooks. Um, and I kind of stopped reading except for maybe on vacation or whatever. And I, in 2016, I was like, you know what? I really want to get back into reading. So I set a goal for myself to read one book a month for the year. And on like December 29th, I finished my 12th book in 2016. And I basically told everyone I know to throw me a parade because I was a hero and I had done the thing that I had set out to do. And I didn't think that there was anyone in the world who'd ever read more books than me. So in 2017, I was like, okay, that was really hard. It took me to the end of the year. I'm going to do 13 books this year because I'm really big into goal setting. So uh, part, part, a part of just my personality, I guess. And um, in 2017, I started off the year reading one book a month. And then in about May, I read this book called The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson, which is still one of my favorite books. And for whatever reason, that book just got me back into reading. And I finished the year at 24 books. So I was definitely like picking up the pace, reading a bunch of random stuff. And in at the end of 2017, I read this book called Blood in the Water by Heather Ann Thompson which is about the Attica prison uprising of 1971. And I loved the book so much. I It's like a 600 page book. I read it in four days, could not put it down, was having nightmares, like just obsessed with the book. And after I finished, um, 
I've, I've been a big podcast listener since about 2010, 2011, which is, I think, pretty much an early adopter for podcasts um, in a lot of spaces. And after I finished the book, I was like, you know what? I'm going to see if there's a podcast about this book because I need to hear somebody talk about it. And I, you know, went in my app, I searched blood and water, I searched Heather and Thompson and about two things popped up. One was like a, I don't think it was actually the New Yorker, but it was like the New Yorker, very smart intellectual conversation about this book um, that had won the Pulitzer prize. And it was like, you know, pretentious. I think I can say that. And then the other one was this law podcast because the book deals a lot with law and and the legal system and the criminal justice system, et cetera. Um, and I listened to both and I was like, this is so annoying because nobody's talking about this book that I love in the way that I want to be talking about it. They're talking about it like either as these like literary elite or else in this like very lawyery way, which makes sense for the book, but doesn't make sense for someone who's just an everyday reader who just wants to talk about books. And then I kind of like left it at that. And then in January of 2018, I was just like, I should start a book podcast. That would be fun. I love podcasts. I love books, like whatever. So I asked some friends who were smarter than me and worked in some way with books or writing. So my first guest was an English teacher. Cause I was like, even if I don't know what I'm doing, you know, my friend will be able to talk about books because that's their job. My second guest was my sister-in-law who is a PhD in ethnic studies. So she knows how to talk about writing. So I kind of like padded the show with people that I knew could maybe talk about books. And then it sort of just took off from there. Um, and, and now we're almost five years in and all I do is talk about books and I don't have any fear about it anymore. But um, yeah, so that's the origin story of the stacks. Tracy, I'm curious about how reading and books shaped your childhood and your, your youth. Um, you know, I, so funny. People ask me this all the time. And I did read a lot as a kid and I loved books a lot. And my family, everybody in my family is readers, but I don't really have that strong of memories about reading as a child or how it shaped my youth. I was really active. I was a dancer and an actress and I played all the sports and I did all the things. And so a lot of my childhood memories are around that and not so much about reading, though I know that I did read books as a kid and I know that I didn't read a ton of children's books. Once I got into middle school and high school, I was always reading adult books. And speaking of memories, but maybe in a different way, I'm I'm always curious about um, people's ability to remember things within books. So whether it's the author's name to the title of the book, to specific quotes of the book or characters or themes or plots, how is that for you? I know I have trouble with that. I'm, I'm, my yeah. memory is not great with that sort of thing. I can't give you quotes of a book or a movie. And I even sometimes have trouble remembering an author's name. I'll be like, oh, it's the book about such and such. So how does that work for you? Because you read so much and you uh, have so many different books recommended to you. So how does that work for you? So I'm, I'm, I have a pretty good memory, I'd say. Um, and I can remember generally the title or the author of something that's like been recommended. If I've read the book, I can usually remember the title and the author. I cannot re remember character names and quotes from the book. People who are like, oh, that one line. I'm like, I don't, I don't even remember that scene. Um, but what I always say is I do remember how a book made me feel. Like if you, and, and I will remember a cover. So sometimes if I don't, if I read something a really long time ago and I don't remember the author, the name, and I see the cover, I'm like, oh my God, yes, that book, it was so X, Y, and Z. So I can remember what a book feels like. And I can remember 
usually like the gist of the book, but I do read a lot. And so I don't always remember every little detail. Um, I am on Goodreads. And so on Goodreads is the first thing I do when I finish a book is write down my initial thoughts. Um, I know that Goodreads is public, which I don't love because sometimes my thoughts are super inarticulate, but I always just write down like what I liked, what I didn't like, like really general, maybe three to five sentences. And then eventually I'll go back and I'll review the book on the Stacks Instagram page in more detail using my notes and whatever I remember. But sometimes I don't get to a review of a book for a month or two after I finish it. So those Goodreads notes are really helpful for me to remember. Um, But if a book was really good or like really left an impression on me or was really bad, I'll remember it. And I'll probably remember like a lot of details if it's really bad because I've been probably talking shit about it since I read it. Okay. So this kind of gets to something that I've, I've been curious about. When I read books, when I like am on social media, I have this like genuine gut fear of like saying anything that might hurt somebody's feelings uh, who's put something out there. So like a, an author or a musician, but you have such like a widespread, honest voice when it comes to the things you've read, you talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, everything. And so how, well, first of all, did you ever have like a moment or a period of time when you didn't want to speak like that openly about things that you've read? Um, And if so, how did you get over that? And if you didn't talk about that too? Okay. Um, So a thing that I committed to doing when I first started the Stacks Instagram page and this idea of the Stacks was that I would write a review of some sort for every single book that I finished. Um, And so part of the reason that I wanted to do that was because I did not want to be a person who only said nice things about about work because I didn't think that then people would trust me. Um, I think that when when you insert yourself into a space like I have into the literary world and you're proclaiming to be a person who on some level is a critic and and therefore I guess I now have become some sort of an authority. I think it's really important that the people who follow and listen to you trust you. Um, And so for me, one of the things that I trust the most about the critics that I love and follow is that they're honest. I hate, I hate it when someone only features things that they love. And I understand that impulse, but for me, it just doesn't, it doesn't work for me. I don't, I don't like it. I don't resonate with it because, and the reason why is because if, if I only told you about the seven books that I loved, then how, how would you know how your tastes stacked up with mine? Cause there are definitely people who follow me for whatever reason, which I honestly don't understand who like what I do, but hate all the books that I love and love all the books that I hate. But one of the things that I hear back from those people all the time is that I know when I read your reviews, if you say, oh, it was really slow and like really character driven, which didn't work for me, that that's going to work that's going to be something that I'm going to like, like these people will say, I, I, I love character driven books. So when you say you don't like that, that's actually how I know that I will like the book. And so I think that I, I do worry about hurting people's feelings, of course, because I am an artist in a sense too, and I'm very sensitive as well. Um, and, and I don't like, like, I don't like when people bring negative things about my work directly to me. So like, I never tag an author in a review or anything like that, but unfortunately, like an author's feelings or an artist's feelings are not really my job as a critic, right? Like that, like we have different jobs and we need each other to survive. I need books to talk about and, and authors need people to promote their work for them. And so there is a trade and it is, you know, some sort of an ecosystem of literariness, but 
I try really hard not to say anything about a book that I wouldn't feel comfortable saying to the author's face. I try not to be mean. Um, I try not to be petty. I, I The only time I'm ever mean is if I think that something in the book is like truly damaging or dangerous. Um, and it's really rare that that happens. Usually I just don't like a book for taste reasons. And I think that that's totally fine and should, and, and is okay to say. Um, so for me, like, I just try to be as, as like generous with my feedback as possible. Um, I did have an author whose book I really liked come to me and he was like, you didn't say anything that was wrong with the book. Did you not like the book? I was like, no, I like the book. I didn't have anything like bad to say. And they were like, well, you always have some like negative feedback too. And I was like, well, I just didn't, I was like, I'm sure I had some negative feedback for your book, but I didn't think it was like important to share because it was probably like so minor or it was outweighed by all of the good things or whatever, you know? So when I write a review, I always try um, to do, you know, one thing that I like, one thing that I didn't like and kind of like share my general opinion, but sometimes there isn't anything that I really disliked or the thing that I disliked was like so minor that it doesn't feel relevant, you know? So I make, I make that decision, but um, it's funny now when I'm really nice to a book, people are like, what's happening? There's no, there's no criticism. Um, so I don't know, but, but I do, I do get scared to answer your question and I do feel bad. But the other part of this, um, sorry that I forgot to start with this, but the other part is that I'm really passionate about books being treated the way that we treat other art in the culture. And I think one of the things that like television and films and sports to it, to an extent and music is that people are not afraid of sharing their opinions about those art forms, even if they're not an expert. And what I see in the book space so often is people will read a book, they'll have a visceral response of either they loved it or they hate it. And then they'll couch that response because they'll be like, well, I don't know. I've never written a book or I don't know. Maybe I wasn't smart enough to understand it. Everyone else says it's great. So I probably just didn't get it. I'm stupid. I'm not good enough, whatever. And that drives me crazy. Um, I think that we should be talking about books in the way that we talk about all other pop culture books media. I think we should be able to say, I absolutely hated that book. I thought it was trash, belongs in the trash can. What a joke. I can't believe the New York Times said it was great. Um, in the same way that we would do with a movie like Malcolm and Marie, there was so much debate about that movie and it was so fun and exciting. And I was like, I have to watch this movie because I have to know if I'm on the side of the people who love it or hate it. And with books, I wish that we were doing that with books. Like I wish that there were more people talking about books books in a casual way. And it doesn't mean like, oh, this book is the worst book ever. It could just mean like this character was so awful. And I can't believe there's 300 pages dedicated to this awful person. And every time they weren't in the book, it was so great. In the same way that we would say about an actor or someone in a movie. Um, and so that's another reason why I think that like I encourage folks to just be honest and kind of flip with their reviews about books. Like, I don't think it has to be this serious dissertation on whether or not you like The Great Gatsby. You can just be like, Jay Gatsby's whack or I love Jay Gatsby so much. I want to be him when I grow up and like move on, you know. So that's sort of how I think about talking about books, positive or negative um, and, and writing my thoughts on them. I, love I don't that. know if that yeah. answered the question. No, totally. It totally did. And I think that it really brings out what I wanted to like bring up next was um, you have this really interesting and very um, appealing tone to your podcast in that you can talk about incredibly serious topics with 
you know, authors who are burying their souls um, or readers who have this like really strong attachment to a book. But at the same time, you can also have a vigorous debate about peanut butter and jelly sandwiches <laughs> or grilled cheese. Yeah. Um, and so I love the tone that you have struck with the podcast where you're able to talk about prison abolition or, you know, the experience of a, a person with disabilities, but then also have this like really fun, lighthearted side to it as well. And at the same time. So how has over the course of the five years that you've been doing the podcast, how has that that tone, that balance changed and evolved or how have you like purposely you know nurtured that um okay that's hard it's two two parts i guess so part one would be not to like quote your podcast or anything but i'm just a genuinely curious person and so for me I'm just asking the questions that I'm curious about, you know? So sometimes that has to do with someone's life and what's in the book, but sometimes like it has to do with something that has come up outside of the book or whatever that I know about. And I'm just really curious. And when I started the show, as I mentioned with the Heather and Thompson book, Blood in the Water, I couldn't find anyone talking about that book that is so serious and so intense and like a real it's a real ride. I mean, I told my brother he had to read it. And he was like, after he read like 50 pages, he was like, are you crazy? You didn't tell me that this book was going to give me nightmares. Like, you didn't tell me how fucked up this story was. Um, but I wanted to be able to talk. I wanted to find make a place where we could talk about a book like that, but in the way that we talk about everything else, where it's like you're having a conversation about the Attica prison uprising, but all of a sudden that reminds you of a news story that you just read. Because when you're reading the book, of course, if, as you read any book, you're thinking of all the other pieces of your life in the world that you live in that factor in. And so I wanted to, again, try to make books be relevant to the culture in the way that I think authors intend them to be and in the ways that books used to be more relevant to the culture um, in in our history. And I'm not saying that books aren't relevant to our culture now, but people don't think of them that way. You mentioned passing earlier and like, what is passing? What is the movie passing, but an adaptation of a book? Like there's so many ways that books are part of our lives that we sort of don't pay attention to. And I really wanted to draw attention to that. And so, and so I wanted to talk about books in a way that felt natural to me. Obviously, it's my show. I am the host. And so I I get to decide what is interesting about a book, right? Like I get to decide what I want to talk about. Um, and I've always just trusted my gut and my curiosity. And I've hoped that people would be interested in what I was interested in. And I know that there are people who don't like my show because it's not serious enough or like we Go, go off on tangents about grilled cheese and and that's okay because those just aren't my people and there are other book podcasts that take things more seriously that would be great for them um and so I just try to just trust that the people that I'm inviting on the show are people that I really want to talk to and I'm curious about and that the conversation will take us to the places that that we we want to go and we need to go that day Tracy, going back to something you mentioned earlier about hosting and connection with, uh, especially with friends and family, I'm really curious about, um, with the pandemic I'm going, obviously, but how how has that experience been for you with, I'm, I'm assuming on some level that had to affect how you could or when you could host people. And so what was that been, what has that sort of impact that has it had on you? 
we don't host as much, very sad, bummer, but we have a nice backyard. And so during the pandemic, we've, you know, we did Thanksgiving this year outside. Uh, I live in LA, so that's a possibility. And, you know, during like 2020, um, I have a few friends in LA who were living alone. And so we would just have them over in the backyard and order food and sit outside and hang out socially distanced, et cetera. Um, so I still try to find a way to be to host and to and to create space for people, but it definitely was sucky and not good. And while everyone is pretending that the pandemic is over, um, I don't feel that way. So we're we're still, you know, I think I've eaten indoors maybe three times, four times since 2020, um, like at a restaurant or with with you know out places. I'm still, you know, mask when I go indoors. I'm still take it really seriously. So I haven't been able to host indoors nearly as much. So I think this kind of connects to hosting, but in kind of a different way. Um, we always ask our guests what books are important to them, what authors are important to them. And we're definitely going to, in the show notes, provide a link to the Stacks Best Book of 2022. Um, but I'm curious, when you are asked what books you recommend, when you're thinking about recommending books to people, uh, do you when you approach that that task, are you thinking of them individually? Are you um, thinking of your own experience? How do you approach the task of recommending books to people? I take it very seriously, as I'm sure you can imagine. <laughs> it's my like whole life basically is now recommending books to people. I take it very seriously and I try to make it as personal as possible because there's like two things in life that are like in my work life that make me just like so happy. And it's one is when I'm interviewing someone and they pause and they're like, wow, great question. Oh, that is like totally my kink. And then the other one is when, um, is when I recommend a book to someone and they read it and they come back and they're like, oh my God, you nailed it, like knocked it out of the park. And I know that to get that response, I have to like, you know, actually try to recommend something to that person. So there's very, very, very few books that I just blindly recommend like, hey, everyone should read this book. I don't believe in that. I don't think everyone, I don't think there's one book that everyone should read. Um, and so, so when someone comes to me asking for a book recommendation, if it's someone that I know, I can kind of just do it offhanded, like, oh, I, like if it's my brother or, or a friend or something, but if it's a stranger on the internet, I usually try to ask them, like, what are a few books you've loved and what are a few books you've disliked? Because that also really helps me. Um, cause sometimes like a book, someone will be like, oh, I want, you know, I want a nonfiction book about. I want a nonfiction memoir. And then I'm like, oh, well, what are some memoirs you hated? And then they list like three of my favorite. And I'm like, okay, they're not looking for this kind of memoir. They're looking for like more of like a David Sedaris moment, not a Kiese Lehman moment. Um, and so that's really helpful to me. So that's kind of how I approach it is like, what are you looking for? Um, and who, who are you? What are your interests? Okay, so following up on that, how did you approach the very like gener general uh, recommendations for your Stacks Best Books of 2022, since that wasn't to a specific person? Well, because that list was not a book recommendation. It was my, my list of my favorite books of the year. And um, in that list, I do, I do it actually in the style of the Stacks podcast. So I take the questions that I ask my guests throughout the year and I 
I answer those questions. So I start every episode or every book like recommendation section of the episode. We call it the stacks questionnaire. I started with two books you love, one book you hate. So in my 2022 list, I included two books I loved and one book I hated. Um, I included a book that made me laugh, a book that made me cry, a book that I learned a lot, um, a book I would recommend to the president. So all of those books that I selected were actually very specific to the question being asked as opposed to doing like a rec it's not a recommendation it's just my list of books of the year kind of with a twist given how much you really have been able to see behind the scenes of the book industry i'm curious so much of the industry well the industry itself is driven obviously so much by privilege and by um sexism and racism and homophobia and just all, all sorts of other bigotry that are just really a, a big part of society and i'm curious how that then affects what people know about in terms of what books are out there what books can be allowed to be published and authors given money to create and how that then changes or allows, or in most cases, sadly disallows conversations that otherwise would be had. Yeah. I mean, this is probably like a whole episode, so I'm not going to do too much on this because it's just a lot, but as you mentioned, the publishing industry, like basically every other industry in this capitalist society is fucked. I mean, it's racist, homophobic, ableist, all of those things. Um, and it's run predominantly by white people and mostly by white women, which actually comes from a whole other kind of sexist thing that has to do with newspapers versus publishing, which I don't know a ton about, but that's my understanding. Um, and people who have a lot of power, whether it be editors or marketing marketers or publicity people, they have their own biases and they come to the table with their own own feelings about what a book should be, what is a good book, what is a bad book. And a lot of them, you know, especially I'm thinking of like editors, they, they'll acquire a book based on their taste, which makes sense. They read the book, it does something to them, they want to buy it, they want to sell it because they're trying to sell a book ultimately. Um, but what does it mean when a lot of the editors or the majority of the editors are white women? What does it mean when those white women are 40 years plus, right? Like, it means that certain books are going to get published more. Certain books are going to resonate with those women more. And, and so, you know, that's troubling. I think the other thing is that when it comes to the marketing and publicity side, which I deal a lot with because I don't really have anything to do with a book being acquired. That's I, I read what comes out. I don't, I don't influence that other part of it. Um, so for me, marketing and publicity is a lot. And what's interesting is like all of the books that are published have a budget essentially unless it's like a self-published book self-published book and some smaller independent publishers are doing different working different uh systems and trying to create different ways of marketing and pub publicizing books but speaking generally about like the big five publishers and like larger publishing houses every book has some sort of a marketing budget and depending on how much the publisher thinks that the book will sell that budget is bigger which is why you'll see a book like the new sally rooney Everyone who got a copy of the book, you know, for publicity got a, a bucket hat and they opened a coffee shop in a van that was colored like the book and they painted a mural and they did all these things. And like, that's because they thought that that book was worthy of a huge marketing budget and that that book would sell. And so, you know, whoever's making those decisions, that's influencing what books are getting attention. I don't know that 
that was one of the best books of, I think that was last year. I can't remember, but one of the best books of last year, but that book was treated like it was. And I don't know if it's sold the most because they're also really, really opaque about the numbers in publishing. New York Times bestseller list. There's no way to know what is qualified for the New York Times bestseller list. It's their own New York Times proprietary technology. They don't share that information. Um, but, you know, certain books get on, certain books don't. And there's no way to say, like it was because this book sold 10,005 copies and this book sold 10,006 copies. Um, it's not, it's not transparent. So all that being said, I've learned a lot about the publishing industry. There's still a lot that I don't know and I don't understand. And every publisher is different, but generally speaking, which is what all of that just was, is like, yeah, it's, it's affected by the same systems that of oppression that we see across, across the board. And Tracy, I, I'm I'm curious for myself and how this has, works for you. Of I I've just sort of like had this self awareness of how my attention span has changed over the past couple decades. Mm -hmm. Like I'm in my early 40s, and when I was younger, and how I might read or how I might uh, just even you know be able to have focus on certain things has changed a lot. I feel like now with cell phones, with social media, with the internet it's it sometimes can be hard to want to only focus on one thing at once like if i'm reading i might read several books at once or read a book and then switch to article but has has that sense of uh the internet and focus have you noticed anything in yourself or maybe with friends or family of how that may have changed um, that's my cat sorry hi cat um i mean yeah i i've struggled to focus too i i, I love twitter i love instagram um, but I, I, if I have to read, I mean, reading is my job, so I have to read. Um, so I have to put my phone down and, and get things done. Um, but I don't think you're alone in that. I think most people struggle with focus because we're so inundated right now. Um, and I certainly do. I, one of the tips I tell people is to get yourself set up before you read. So like, go to the bathroom, fill your glass or your mug, um, get your blanket, make sure you have your cozy socks, do all the things that could possibly take you away from reading, then go get in your reading spot and put your phone on do not disturb. I do sometimes Pomodoro reading sessions where I'll turn my alarm, my alarm for 25 minutes and I'll read for 25 minutes and I'll take a five minute break, read for 25 minutes, take a five minute break. Um, or sometimes if the book has like chapters that are a, a good size, like I'll book, okay, I'm going to read three chapters, then I'm going to go on Twitter. Um, and those are things that work for me. Sometimes if I'm really struggling, I'll go on airplane mode. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I think, I think everybody is dealing with that, but also like, I can't focus on TV sometimes, you know, like, I just think focus is really hard. Uh, at least for me right now. So Tracy, one of the things that I, I love about the, the stacks is it, is a very purposeful, purposeful decision on your part to highlight um, authors and books that do need more attention, that deserve more attention. And I was wondering if um, you could talk about the interactions that you have with your listeners um, and how they kind of um, validate or interact with you about the work that you're doing in highlighting authors and books that do deserve more attention? Well, so here's the one thing I'll say. I do, I guess what I, I guess what I want to say is like, I don't highlight books to highlight books because I think they deserve more attention. I pick books and 
topics and things for the show because it's what I'm interested in. Um, and I think that the only reason I'm making that distinction is because I think that there are people out there who are like, oh, we need to have a Black author on. So let's find a book by a Black author. That's not me. I get I get pitched the same, you know, whatever books are coming out from all the publishers. And I go through the emails and I look and I'm like, oh, I'm interested in this. And I'm not like looking up the author. So like we do feature books by white men on the show sometimes because sometimes I just really want to talk about that book. Um, and, and as I mentioned before, because it's my show and, you know, it's me doing it, I pick the things that I'm interested in. And so I'm a Black woman. I'm interested in Black the black experience like i'm interested in people from marginalized groups i'm curious about the disabled communities i'm just i'm curious about queer communities um and so that's why i read those books but not like not not just not because i'm highlighting them to highlight them but because i'm highlighting them because they exist and they're exciting to me if that makes sense um as far as like feedback from my audience my audience like i mentioned like they like me they want to read what i'm reading because it interests them too so i don't get a lot of pushback or anything um every once in a while someone will be like why don't you do a colleen hoover book and i'm like i'm not doing a colleen hoover book i i don't care about colleen hoover but for the most part like my my audience is really engaged and curious as well and and they'll they'll come with me and they'll read something that I suggest um or that we pick for book club because they they want to read something different um does that answer your question absolutely it does and that's a totally okay. fair distinction yeah absolutely and Tracy given that obviously with the podcast and then the writing you do about books and being guests on on the podcast like you're doing today before you started the podcast you were already you know passionate about books in different ways and I'm wondering now that you're doing it, now that you're writing about books in all these different ways, has that changed like your personal uh, passion for books and how and how you read and what you choose to read? Or has it sort of stayed the same as before the podcast? Okay, yeah. So now that I read books for work and I have the show and, you know, all, all the things you mentioned, I definitely read more widely because I'm presented with more books to read. So like before I was doing this, I would go into a bookstore and I would look and see what was on the table at Barnes and Noble or my local bookseller. I'd go on Amazon or whatever. And the books that were highlighted to me were like bestsellers, right? Those are what are out on the table. And so I was reading a lot of books that had, as I mentioned before, like those marketing dollars behind them, because those were the books that were easily accessible. And a lot of the booksellers had read and they would be like, oh yeah, I ju it just came in. I read it. It's great. Now that I get books before they're published and get pitched on books. I get to read a lot of books that I probably never would have read because I didn't know they existed for the reasons I mentioned before about marketing and how all that works. Um, so for sure, I think I read more widely. I've been introduced to a lot of authors by other authors and by other readers that I never would have heard about or, or known. Um, people recommend books to me constantly and I obviously cannot read all of them, but you know, if someone mentions a, a book by an author and then I get an email about that book by an author and then I see them on a thing, like I'm like, oh yeah, that person. Whereas before I probably wouldn't have gotten all that or I wouldn't have been paying attention as much. Um, so I definitely have like new favorite authors that I never knew existed before doing doing the show. Do you have any weird reading quirks? Like one of my weird reading quirks is any book I jump, I don't know why, I just, I love to jump to the acknowledgement sections. That's like the first mm. thing I do when I pick up a book. I'm like curious who they're acknowledging and why. And if in some of those are really long and some of those are like, you know, a paragraph, but do you have any like reading quirks like that? So no, I don't, 
think so. I do love to read the acknowledgements. I always do read the acknowledgements. I guess the only thing that I really try not to do is I try to read as little of the synopsis or the back of the book um, as possible. Obviously, that's not always possible because sometimes I'm writing about a book that's coming out. So I need to read what it's about or like I'm getting pitched on something. And so I need to read to see if it's interesting. But like I oftentimes try not to like I try to just find out like a book about bad mothers. And I'm like, great, that's all I need to know. I'll do the rest. Um, so that's sort of a reading quirk. I'm very anti bending the pages, the corners as a bookmark. Like I will memorize the page I'm on as opposed to folding the corner if I don't have a bookmark. And I will not use the book jacket as a bookmark either. So those are just some like intense things about me. <laughs> Okay, so we have interviewed a couple of authors, and one of the coolest things ever for me is I, the very first time I received an advanced copy um, in the mail, mm-hmm. like from the publisher, I was like, holy cow, I have made it. This is the Isn't most amazing that so ever. great? It is huge. So mm-hmm. what was a moment for, for you where you were like, oh my God, like this is legit. This is real. So I... I, the first time I asked for a book and the publicist was like, yes, what's your mailing address? I was like, oh my God, a free book. (laughs) And then the other one is that, so when I started the show, I was like, it's going to be a podcast about books and we're talking about books, but all of my early guests were like friends and people, friends of friends and and non-authors. And I had had this idea, like maybe one day I'll have authors on the show, which now seems crazy. But uh, in 2018, the first year of the show, maybe like halfway maybe like six months in, um, Joe Piazza, who wrote the book, uh, Charlotte Walsh Loves to Win, which is like this novel about a woman running for Senate, you know, a response to Hillary Clinton, et cetera. Um, Anyways, Joe like commented on something on Instagram and was like, I'd love to come on the podcast. And I was like, oh my God, a published author knows about the show and wants to come on and she was my first author guest so that was like a big deal can you tell us about your spiritual experience I don't I don't have that (laughs) I'm not really a spiritual person I am a very uh goal oriented um practical if you can feel it you can do it type of person And Tracy, talk to us about the role of humor and laughter in your life. Oh my gosh. It's like central. I love a joke. I love to laugh. I love to make fun of people and things. I love to be made fun of. I love to, I love to laugh. I love jokes. Oh, it's like my whole life. I mean, I'm a black American. Humor is central to our existence. So however you want to take this question, whatever it means to you, Um, What books and authors are important to you and what bands and musicians are important to you? Okay. I'm going to start with books because this is harder and my answer will probably be less fulfilling. I, uh, so many, for so many different reasons, books and authors, I have a phrase that I use that I call, instead of saying like a favorite book, I say a book of my life, um, which just means that the book was like really important and impactful to me in my life for some reason. So, you know, Blood in the Water is a book of my life because that is the book that led me to make this show. It is also one of my favorite books, but that is a book of my life. Um, uh, also, um, the Warmth of Other Sons by Isabel Wilkerson, which I mentioned earlier, is a book of my life. An unpopular and problematic favorite, which is also a book of my life, is Gone with the Wind. I love it so much. I know, I know, I know. 
Um, Heavy by Kiese Lehman is a book of my life. Kiese is one of my favorite writers and has become a friend and he is a mentor and just a genuinely stupendous human. Um, Two writers that I think of as two people that like, I can't believe I get to be alive while they're putting work into the world. And I it, like almost takes my breath away because I think that they are just so talented. Um, it is Imani Perry and Hanif Abdurraqib. Um, I would also include Kiese there, but I feel differently about him because he has become a friend. Um, I feel similarly about Jason Reynolds for young people. I think like, I can't believe I'm alive while this man is creating work for our, our kids and, and what a gift he's given them. Um, there's a book called Jesus Land and a book called uh, A Thousand Lives, both by Julia Shearers that are deeply important to me and two books that I just loved. John Krakauer is an author that I've loved long before the show. Um, I don't actually think I've read any of his books since starting the show because he hasn't written anything. Um, but I love John Krakauer so much. Uh, just Mercy by Brian Stevenson, a book of my life. Um, just, I don't know, so, so many. It's, it's actually like inappropriate to ask someone like me. <laughs> favorite books and authors, but just off the top of my head, those are some of the books that, um, and the people who I, I just am thrilled about. Um, music, music, music. Okay. Beyonce, um, ever heard of her? I love Beyonce. Um, I used to be a spin teacher and my tagline in all of my classes, we always would play a Beyonce song. And during the Beyonce song, I'd always tell people, okay, like for this push, you got to do best effort Beyonce. And it was like, you have to do the best you possibly can. And I used to always say, you know, be powerful. You know, I can't remember. It was like, be powerful, be dedicated Beyonce or something like that. (laughs) So I'm a big Beyonce stan. Um, I love Amos Lee. I love Nora Jones. I love Nora Jones so much. It's embarrassing because I know, but I just, I love her. Um, I, I, I like, I love a chill vibe. I love Sade. Um, I love, I love like the music that my parents listened to. I love disco so much. I was a dancer. So anything you can dance to, I'm really into Bad Bunny right now. My kids are into Bad Bunny right now. Oh my gosh. We listen to so much De Pue de la Playa. Um, what else? What other music? I know I'm leaving out things, so many things. Um, Rihanna, Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson, Donna Summer, uh, The Temptations, Leon Bridges. I don't know. I love music. I listen to so much music. Um, yeah, Mumford and Sons. Love them too. I, 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 I'm, we actually do this. So in our, this is a fun thing we do in our house. A friend of mine started this or told me about this and the first week of the year, we write down 52 musicians, groups, musical artists, and we cut them up onto little slips of paper and we put them into what we call the music mug. And every Sunday we pull an artist and that's the music that we listen to as a family when we're all together. So it's sometimes it's like music that we love. Sometimes it's like someone that we've wanted to like learn more about music groups. Um, the only music that I have banned from the music mug is Bob Dylan because I cannot stand Bob Dylan. <laughs> it drives me, he drives me crazy. Um, but this is our, we've done it for two years now. So we're going to start our third year soon. And so that's a fun way to get to listen to music that you might not know um, or that I might not know or my husband might know something and, and I don't or vice versa. So that's really fun. Okay. So just two little comments here. One, um, kind of a neat 
callback our very first interview that we ever held the the woman we talked to talked extensively about the warmth of other sons i had just finished Mm. it it's such an amazing amazing book and then also um i wanted to mention that one of your podcast episodes of the stacks you talk with an author who talked about um the history of disco hate and how it is based Mm -hmm. in racism and um uh, homophobia. And I was completely unaware of that. And so that sent me on a deep dive into looking into that, um, that history, and I had no clue. So yeah. um, just a little thank you for the information that you're bringing to people's uh, awareness. So yeah, shout out to Danielle Smith, a, a true icon. That's another person whose writing is so important to me, Danielle Smith. Ugh. Genius. Well, Tracy, I, I was wondering if you talked to us about how our listeners can stay connected to you. How can they subscribe and listen to the Stacks podcast? How can they read your column and she reads? And for those in the LA area, how can they attend uh, one for the books events or watch them online? Okay, you can subscribe to the podcast, The Stacks, wherever you get your podcast, wherever you're listening to this. We probably exist there. Um, I'm on Instagram at the Stacks Pod. There's so much book content on my Instagram page. As I mentioned, I review every single book that I read, which is anywhere between about 100 and 120 a year. So there's plenty of book reviews there, uh, book lists, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Twitter, I'm at the Stacks Pod underscore. And then you can also find just me, like not the Stacks on Twitter at, at bitracial, B-I-T-R-A-C-I-A-L. Um, and the sex website is a sexpodcast.com. And then, um, my column is on shereads.com. It's if you go to shereads.com, there's like a thing at the top that says columns and mine is reading in the stacks. Um, and I, it's every, every month I put, uh, my column goes live the second to last Thursday of the month. I know, very confusing, but once a month. And that column is um, called Ask the Stacks, where I give bookish advice. So if it's you're looking for a book recommendation, you want to know how to focus better, you're curious about recommending books for your book club, you want to gift, whatever. And you can submit questions um, there as well. And then for the rest of the year, I have I, I just posted, um, she reads my, I had a two bonus, I have two bonus columns this month. So one is my books of the year. And then in, a, I think next week or two weeks will be my books to look forward to in 2023. So those will both be coming soon. And then one for the books is my live LA, uh, book series that just started and it's for LA Angelinos only. It's not online. We're not doing online for this. Um, some snippets are online, but it is a in-person show. So if you're in the LA area, it's one every other month from started in November and the last one will be in September, 2023. And if you follow me on social media, I'll be posting about upcoming events as we are sharing that information. Did I hit it all? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Tracy, this has been so much fun. Thank you for the work you do with the stacks and thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for having me and asking such thoughtful questions. It's so appreciated. Currently, the Curiosity Hour podcast does not contain any advertisements or commercials at the beginning or during our episodes. So we hope you won't mind indulging us in a brief public service announcement about a few things that are important to Tommy and me. 
And it's important to note that these are our views and they don't in any way, shape, or form uh, necessarily reflect the views of our listeners or our guests. Thanks for being a listener to the Curiosity Hour podcast. The world is facing a major public health crisis with the COVID-19 SARS-CoV-2 pandemic. COVID-19 is very serious, and not only can it kill people of any age, it can also injure people and cause lifelong damage to people's physical and emotional health. Dan and I take the situation very seriously, and we encourage our listeners to join us in protecting our communities by wearing a mask and face shield, social distancing, regularly washing your hands, and staying at home whenever possible. People are the fuel of this virus, and if we can limit unnecessary contact, we can help prevent the spread of this dangerous virus. Wherever you are in the world, please get vaccinated if you have access to the COVID-19 vaccine. Please do your part. And join Tommy and me. We're both proudly vaccinated against COVID-19. And we encourage our listeners to get vaccinated against COVID-19 as well. Remember to keep in touch with your family and friends via phone, text, and email. Check up on people and keep your connections, even when you can't be physically in the same space. Please be kind to others, as this is a stressful time for all of us to navigate this challenge and all the future uncertainties. And please be kind to yourself. In the U.S., we're also in the midst of an important ongoing movement for racial justice. Dan and I support anti-racism education, awareness building, and action. We also support the Movement for Black Lives vision for Black Lives. This vision includes the following is found on the m4bl.org website. Ending the war on black people, investing in the education, health, and safety of black people instead of investments in the criminalizing, caging, and harming of black people. Reparations for past and continuing harms. Economic justice for all and a reconstruction of the economy to ensure black communities have collective ownership and not merely access. Community control of the laws, institutions, and policies that are meant to service black communities. And black political power and self-determination and the rights of protesters to be respected and protected. We hope your family, friends, neighbors, and colleagues are able to stay healthy and safe and as always, remember to stay curious. The Curiosity Hour podcast is listener supported. And thanks again to all those of you who have donated to help pay for the expenses needed to keep the podcast in operation. Remember, the easiest way to donate is via the Venmo app. And you can donate to at Curiosity Hour on that app. That's at Curiosity Hour. Tommy and I thank you for joining us on this episode of the Curiosity Hour podcast. We encourage you to visit our website, thecuriosityhourpodcast.com, where you can learn all the ways to listen to the podcast. You can listen to previous guests, and you can find out how to continue the discussion online via our Facebook page and our Facebook group. If you'd like to share your story or have a suggested guest, please visit our website, thecuriosityhourpodcast.com, and complete the Contact Us form. We encourage you to share your stories with others and to find out about the stories all around you. Stay curious. 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 Stay curious.